Welcome to Bully Banter, the weekly Mississippi State Athletics podcast from the Commercial Dispatch. I'm Theo DeRosa here with Alex Murphy and Colin Dams. As we're almost into February now and things are moving pretty fast, we've got basketball, baseball, and softball, Mississippi State in action in basketball, getting prepared for Diamond Sports, and it should be a pretty fun spring season. Women's basketball team looking pretty good. Men's basketball team very much struggling right now. Colin, Alex, how you guys been doing, and uh, what are you guys looking forward to in the next couple weeks? Uh, so I did want to say, because I was thinking about it, um, and I saw it online today, uh, I completely forgot that today's the 26th. Um, so it is, you know, in terms of sports, it's a pretty somber day. Three years ago, we lost a, a Kobe and Gigi Bryant. Um, so I wanted to mention that in there just because uh, absolute, you know, Kobe's a sports idol and Gigi had a great career in front of her in sports and unfortunately she got that taken away um so i did want to mention that first off uh not to put a damper on things just because i was thinking about it um but when it comes to stuff in the spring for mississippi state i think that i mean the men's team is struggling right now i know the second half in that game against and, and we'll talk about it against alabama um on wednesday was a rough one uh i still think that there's plenty of opportunities for them to get back into it um i think the women's team overall is playing a lot better i think that they're really gelling and I think that they've had a lot of good contributors overall I'm really excited about both softball and baseball if I'm not mistaken softball from what I saw kind of got a little bit shafted in terms of uh the coaches preseason rankings in the SEC I don't think that they were you know based on what they did last year considering the fact that they went to a super regional for the first time in program history um they didn't really get that kind of respect coming into this season I understand that the SEC is a good conference for softball but that seemed a little bit weird um, I am intrigued to see what baseball does. I know they had a down year last year. They brought in some transfers, a lot of um, young guys in terms of, you know, freshman class coming in. So I think that that's going to be interesting um, to see how they play. But yeah, I would say that there's a lot of good things coming ahead for Mississippi State, whether that be sports that are already in progress or sports that are going to be coming up. Colin, I know for you, you know, Sam Purcell's press conference a couple of weeks ago seemed to have caused your uh, appendix problem. How are you feeling after that surgery? And uh, what's it been like covering the beat and getting back into the swing of things here? Um, yeah, so I it, it was a weird timeline. So like, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 4 a.m. that it hit me that you know, it just felt like a bad stomach ache at that point. Um, had some of the other uh you know, unsavory symptoms of appendicitis and then went back to sleep, uh, cleaned myself up, went to the press conference, still in pain, but, you know, thinking maybe it would go away. Once it didn't, I went to the hospital and they're like, yeah, we need to get this out of you. So um, it, it's been a weird couple of weeks recovering from that, but I'm feeling a lot better now. I was able to get back on uh, covering sports last weekend and, um, you know, thank you to Theo and Alex for helping me out with the Mississippi State beat in the meantime. Um, and uh, Mississippi State women are 3-0 since uh, my appendectomy. So things have been looking up for them. Um, they've had those three straight wins in the SEC, a really dramatic one over Kentucky in my first game back. So that was a lot of fun. And um, there's just a lot of excitement around the team right now. It, it seems like uh, you know, things that San Purcell is focused on in particular, it seems like they're finding a balance um, offensively in terms of identifying who is going to be the the other contributor on top of Jessica Carter, who is, you know, the number one option and has also been outstanding defensively. Uh, Purcell was 
pretty defensive of her and her exclusion from the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year uh, finalist list that was released. I I guess that was Tuesday. So uh, expect to motivate a Jessica Carter when they go to Ole Miss tonight. Um, that, that's a really good opportunity for a bounce back win after losing to Ole Miss at home for the first time since 2007 uh, for their first SEC loss this year. Uh, Ole Miss have lost a couple of games themselves recently, so um, should be a really good contest. Uh, after that, they've got Georgia this weekend, and um, they're above 500, and they're very determined to build on that right now in the SEC. And uh, yeah, that's about where they're at. Yeah, I'm excited for that game in Oxford. Obviously, that'll be over before you guys hear this recording, but uh, Colin understandably decided he didn't want to get hit by a deer at 1 a.m. on Highway 15. So I'm going to go to Oxford, and it should be an interesting game between Ole Miss and uh, State after that first uh, New Year's Day game back in Starkville. You mentioned Jessica Carter drew that charge there at the end of that Kentucky game. I got Mm -hmm. to watch the end of that game, and I was impressed by how State kind of finished that out. You saw Kentucky... I think tied at one point, you know, get back and then the late free throw made and then that great defensive play by state. Like they're able to close out games, which is something the men's team is not doing right now. And I know that both yeah. Ole Miss women and state women are about nine or 10 seeds in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be a big game tonight and a big kind of few games down the stretch because these are both definitely tournament teams, kind of bubble teams, and it should be interesting to see where they end up. Yeah, I, I think they're mindful of that too. Uh, Purcell's referenced a lot recently that you know they're they've always had this "why not us" mindset, and he knows that a lot of the discourse around his arrival and the team that he's building is you know about what can this team be in two to three years? Can this team be close to what you know those final four teams were in 2017, 2018, uh, 2019? They were on the door the doorstep of the final four. So, um, but he and the team have sounded off pretty frequently saying that they want to try and do their best to get back to that this year. Um, they definitely seem like they have the talent to be a tournament team, but with so many players who are playing with each other for the first time, you know, even returning players like Anastasia Hayes and Jessica Carter, uh, they never featured on the same team together before this year uh, because Hayes transferred in was kind of the number one option last year after Ricky Jackson left while Carter was sitting out for the year. So um, with Alana Smith also coming in, Romani Parker coming in from Louisville, um, Courtney Weber transferring in from Florida State, and then Asian A. Johnson, also another transfer, Debrisha Poe, a true freshman starter. I mean, the the only players that have really played together and know each other well are Anastasia Hayes and Kayla Jordan. So um, seeing all of that come together over the course of this year to the point now where I think against Kentucky, we saw a lot of the situations where that experience really paid off and the team was understanding and flowing you know, after a kind of rough start in the first quarter, uh, you see those leadership moments, Jessica Carter drawing that foul, uh, Anastasia Hayes getting the ball and getting out and, uh, you know, drawing a foul uh, further up the court to sink what was the eventual game winner. Alana Smith tying the game with a, a really clutch three in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like there's really good vibes around the team right now. And um, it'll be exciting to see where they can go with that. Is it bad that I want them to face Texas in the NCAA tournament? It might be a little bad, but I just what a good I mean, that would be for storyline purposes. Yeah. And, you know, Vic Schaefer and State and State getting back to the tournament for the first time since Schaefer left. I think that would be interesting. I doubt you know it's going to work out that way for whatever reason. Seeing NCAA avoiding that matchup, but dang, that would be fun. Yeah, 
I mean, it would be the dream scenario for everyone who loves those like five minute Sports Center featured videos of, you know, really dramatic music playing over explaining context for the game that's about to happen and backstory and all that stuff. Well, they'd only mention that Schaefer used to coach at state about 70 times on the two hour right. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With the uh, men's team, though, you know, just came back from that Alabama game where you saw them lead by as many as 11 points in the first half. Alabama was just not playing very well. They shot five of 28 from three, but, you know, state shot like three of 17. And, you know, Alabama's just talented enough to erase those kind of deficits. And they did by, I think, midway through the second half. A few minutes after that, they took the lead for good. State really bad at those late last second execution plays. They've had like a play drawn up twice, and it really hasn't worked out either time for them to run what they're trying to run. Chris Jans has said, you know, I'm not going to call timeout on those plays. I'm going to let it play. And it makes sense. You know, I think maybe he could have called a timeout in the middle of uh, last night's game when things were just really going haywire. I get why you want to play it out. Let the defense, you know, not be able to get set, not be able to figure out if they want to foul or not. When you guys think of those late game situations, are you in favor of call your timeout, set up a play, maybe the defense gets set or just play it out? Because Chris Jans has made it pretty clear He's not always going to do it, but when the situation calls for it, he's going to let it play out. I don't really think that's the reason why these last couple games haven't worked. I think they just don't have the go-to guy down the stretch. Yeah, I, I think that's that's been their biggest problem all season in SEC play. Uh, this was the kind of game that they needed to have in the home match uh, matchup against Alabama uh, for their first SEC game of the season, where you know they get out to this early lead and they're kind of relying on their defensive stability and maintaining momentum um, to stay in front. That's just really, really hard to do on the road. Um, And Alabama, I mean, they're not a basketball school as many, you know, people don't really know them for basketball, but their fan base has been showing out for their team lately because, you know, they're ranked as high as they are and they have some really, really talented prospects Um, guys who probably going to be playing in the NBA next year. So um you, you just can't bet on riding that out really against Alabama. And uh, I mean, they kept it close late and, you know, those late scenarios is why you save your timeouts. Um, if you can find a way to get back into it in the, the last two minutes or so, but um, yeah, it, it was just a, t- a really tough one to drop. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily super reflective of the way that Christians manages games because they are one in seven now in the SEC, so it. This was one of their better performances too. So it, I, it's just really difficult to evaluate. But, um, I mean, you, you can't leave your must win games to playing on the road against the number two team in the country. I think that in situations, and and it's an interesting thing to think about when it comes to trying to figure out how to use your timeouts over the course of a game. Obviously, uh, you know by the end of the game or as you start getting to that point, it is important to have timeouts available if you need to use them in a situation. I think that it also depends on how well that team has practiced when it comes to out of bounds plays coming off of timeouts, because there aren't always programs that execute those well. You, I mean, there there are a lot of programs that have trouble with that for some unknown reason. You 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 call a timeout, you try to run up a play or um, draw a play up, and then 
once it happens, it never works out. Or if it does work out, it doesn't always work out. Um, I guess as often as you would want it to. So uh, it, it really depends on um, how good the team is when it comes to coming out of a timeout and being able to execute the play that they drew up in the timeout. Uh, so I think that in with what Jans was talking about, saying that he could either a, you know, not, you know, just let things go as is compared to maybe in some situations taking a timeout because it's the better thing. I think it's really just, you know, I, I I think for him, it's probably just the feel of, of whatever the situation is. I think last night there probably should have been more emphasis on trying to take timeouts and trying to slow any sort of momentum that Alabama was getting or maybe get some momentum back for state. It's just that uh, I don't, you know, kind of just is what it was at the end of the game uh, and state kind of shot themselves in the foot in the second half to not, you know, you know, put the nail in the coffin at the end of the game. But yeah, I really think that it does come down to whether a team feels comfortable to be able to, you know, when they call a timeout late to be able to execute whatever play it is coming out of it compared to teams that just don't have that success or don't feel comfortable with it. And um, in the end, those kind of plays hurt them because maybe if the play, you know, isn't stopped because of a timeout and it just keeps going, then they're able to actually execute it well compared to, you know, the reality of the situation. So um, it, it'll probably just be a feel thing for Jans moving forward. I just don't know, you know, what in, in what places it's going to work best. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if you're trying to run a play, you don't really have the guys on this roster to do it. You know, last year you could probably trust Iverson Molinar to get the ball, go to the basket, get fouled or make a shot. This year, I don't know if there's really anybody on the roster you can say, okay, I'm going to throw you this inbound pass, 10 seconds to go go down and make something happen. I mean, you can throw it into the paint for Tolu Smith. Maybe he'll make it. If he gets fouled, he might not make both of the free throws. Uh, DJ Jeffries is hit or miss. And you have a couple guards like Shaquille Moore, Deshaun Davis, who maybe Cameron Matthews, obviously a really strong physical guy, but he's not like a super creative, talented offensive scorer. It's just hard without the guys on this roster to make the shots throughout the game and especially at the end to have a lot of faith. That said, getting a two from Eric Reed that missed badly at the very end when they needed a three was pretty ugly. And I mean, they know that, but that kind of stuff just can't happen if you're going to win these games. And so far, they're not. They're not winning these games. And that's why they're one and seven in the SEC right now. I don't think they're a bad team. I mean, their Ken Palm rating actually went up after the Alabama game by five or six spots to 51st, which is pretty average, a little bit outside looking in of the NCAA tournament field generally for at large teams, but to make the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to win like eight or nine SEC games, which would account for going like eight and three, something like that in the last, uh, and then the remaining SEC games. So kind of a tough road, especially after being 11 and 0 overall. And we'll see where this team goes. You've got TCU coming in on Saturday in the uh, SEC big 12 challenge, another kind of quad a quad one opportunity for state. But you won't have another one until Arkansas in like two or three weeks. So kind of miss their chances to make hay while the sun shines because uh, sun is going down pretty quickly for state right now. Yeah, they've already lost a couple games that you just can't lose if you're trying to make the tournament in the SEC. Um, There is always, you know, the really small chance that you can make a run in the SEC tournament and boost your chances at the end of the year if you have a decent record. But um. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like this team has 
the killer instinct that you need to kind of go on a good run in, in the SEC and then in a tournament. Um, yeah, they, they just have to get better scoring. It's it's as simple as that in some of these cases. And it, it's, it's really weird that you see them play so well in a game like they did against Alabama. But, um, I don't know. you know, basketball is weird like that. And, you know, there, there's, there's some margin for error, but they have, um, they really just not hit the heights in the games that they had to win. And I know it's not like they have these huge, this huge roster of incredibly talented offensive players, but Keyshawn Murphy didn't play against Alabama. Sean Jones Jr. didn't play against Alabama. Those are two of their better shooters and for state better is a relative term, but having a guy like Eric Reed who didn't start for the first time all season, one of four, I think 0 for three from three, he's just shot really badly. And beside his offensive rebounding, which is excellent, He's not contributing much offensively. I mean, I don't really see why Sean Jones wouldn't get a, a couple minutes in a game like that, but Jans was keeping it pretty tight. I think he only played maybe seven or eight players against Alabama. So you've seen State from pretty much the outset play 10, 11, 12 guys. Not the case in the last couple games, at least against Bama. Maybe you'll see them kind of expand that rotation back out. We've also got uh, baseball and softball coming up, like we mentioned in the top here. Uh, Three weeks until the baseball season opener and two weeks under two weeks now, uh, Thursday, I believe it's February 8th, that softball uh, has the first pitch in a tournament in Florida. Baseball hosting VMI at Duty Noble in that opening series, you know, kind of opposites from what we're used to seeing state baseball missing the tournament last year, softball making it further than ever before going to Super Regionals. What do you see from these programs and uh, especially with the baseball team? Do you guys feel like with the roster that they have, the signing class, the transfer class, does it feel like this baseball team can contend again like they were doing, you know, 2021, 2019 and the years before? Um, I surely hope so. I mean, I was just kind of looking over things right now coming into the year, uh, you know, obviously what they did last year for for baseball was uh, was tough. Um, you know, coming off of a season where you win a national championship and then you don't make the NCAA tournament after that. I mean, you know, we've seen professional teams do that where they win a championship and they don't make the playoffs the year after. So this isn't something that's unique. It's just more of a disappointing thing for Mississippi State fans. However, they're coming in, you know, D1 baseball has their transfer class ranked as a top five class. Their their freshman class coming in is the second best class in the country. Um, you know, they have guys who have been able to produce at other places, I think, a couple of the big names that came in were, uh, let's see, a couple of pitchers here, if I'm not mistaken. They have Tyson Harden and Colby Holcomb. Uh, Harden is from Daytona State. Uh, had a um, really, really good season there. Uh, was able to, you know, I think he had 56 strikeouts in, in nearly 52 innings. So more than a strikeout in an inning, which is really, really impressive. Um, hopefully he'll be able to kind of build off of that from there. Holcomb was the uh, MACCC uh, Pitcher of the Year at Northeast Mississippi Community College. Um, 260 RA, 115 strikeouts and 65 innings of work, 66 innings of work. Uh, impressive stuff there. I know um, in terms of on the hitting side of things, uh, Colton Ledbetter, who's coming over from Stanford, was, um, you know, all, all conference first team there. Uh was setting records left and right, batted three, uh, batted over 300, hit 16 bombs, nearly 60 RBIs. I mean, being able to get that into your lineup 
is incredibly in, important for a team like this. Uh, knowing that in the SEC, teams have bulked up, especially LSU getting Tommy Tanks. I mean, you know, being you know, a guy like that, being able to get a guy like that in a transfer portal who was as dominant as he was with NC State, you know, that's the sort of caliber of player that is going to be brought in in the SEC. And I think that State knew that coming into this season, knew that that sort of reality was going to happen. So they needed to beef up on their own. And I think they did a lot of um, interesting things. You know, looking at the freshman class, you have, um, you know, a lot of Mississippi guys uh, coming in. I think their three best recruits, lost, uh, Ross Highfield, Dakota Jordan, and Bradley Lofton are all from Mississippi. Um, all have had really, really good high school and or prep careers. Uh, and I'm not even mentioning, I, I, I'm going to butcher this name, but Gerangelo Chinte? Is that how you say it? It's Gerangelo Chinte. Okay, so I was close, um, but he's a um, he's an ambidextrous pitcher. If you know, um, I'm trying to pat Pat Vendetti. Uh, he was an ambidextrous pitcher in in the MLB or in Major League Baseball, and didn't really throw that hard from either side through between 85 and 90. Um, you know, contrastingly, he can throw 90 plus on both sides, which is ridiculous. Uh, so being able to have that in your, you know, in your rotation or being able to use that uh, just in your pitching depth is is absolutely incredible. So I don't know how good they're going to be comparatively, but they've brought in pieces to be more successful this season and it should pan out. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the guys that you mentioned. I mean, Ledbetter from Samford is definitely a really good ad for them. I mean, I think it was first team all SoCon or whatever conference they're in. Yep. And uh, as an outfielder, he's going to start right away. I think he's going to hit in the middle of the lineup. Bradley Lofton is intriguing. I think he's from DeSoto Central, if I'm not mistaken. He's a left-hander who throws up to – he's been clocked at like 96, which for a college left-hander is incredible. So that's yeah. a really good get. I mean, he and Holcomb were rumored to maybe go to the draft. Sinjay, the uh, switch pitcher to also, you know, rumored draft pick. But State getting those guys to stay is going to be huge. And getting some good transfers, like Amani Larry, the second baseman from New Orleans. They've uh, had a pretty good run of it with transfer second baseman. Scotty DeBruel helped them win a title. RJ Yeager from, I think, from Mercer was the best player on the team last year, pretty much. So maybe Larry can kind of continue that trend. You don't see the huge name transfers like Paul Skeens, who went to LSU. Tommy White, who went to LSU. Are you seeing a pattern? Anyway, uh, State is getting some decent transfers. Not any of the huge high major guys, but you may not need that. And if you have productive guys from the lower levels, you know, who want to come here, using those schools kind of feeder teams for your program is really putting you in a good place. So I think with guys like Hancock and Kellum Clark and, of course, Hunter Hines returning, they probably have a good enough offense. Pitching was a struggle at times last year. So was offense, to be fair. You've got uh, Cade Smith coming back, Casey Hunt some new guys like Lofton and Sinche. I think they have the pieces to compete. It's going to obviously maybe be a while before they can put them all together. Yeah. I think part of the problem last year was that, uh, especially the way that they started the season, it looked like they were good enough to, you know, at least make the tournament again, maybe make a run to try and get to Omaha. But the way that things spiraled so quickly with the injuries and how that affected pitching, how, you know, some of these games where they were getting a lot of runs, they were still ended up, they still ended up losing them anyway. Um, 
it, it just all seemed by the end of the season to just like totally destroy the confidence in the locker room. And I think Chris Lamonas really took it upon himself to start building for this season, the very moment that last season ended because um, he came in and for three straight years, you know, minus the COVID year, they, they got to Omaha. Um, and he knew that he, when he accepted the job here, that that was the expectation because this was a team that had started getting to Omaha every year. Um, it's tough to manage those expectations, especially in the SEC, where it seems like every other baseball program is starting to be really good again, too. Um, but he recruited with that intention, and these recruits are coming in knowing that that's the mindset that, you know, this this team wants more championships. They 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 want to live up to the hype that they created for themselves. So um, I'm excited to see how they manage that. Um, you know, they've, they've got a decent non-conference test when they go to Frisco. And I think we're going to see some really exciting baseball by the time the SEC schedule rolls around. They get to and play Ohio State, who's uh, not known for yeah. their baseball program, but they get to play them regardless. Oh, Ohio State has had some good – Ohio State's been one of the better Big Ten programs in baseball in recent years. That's like yeah. say I don't I don't even have a comparison, but big time. I mean, I mean, I mean, no, that's not really saying much, but I'm just saying in terms of quality. I mean, the Big Ten is not nearly in um, you know the best conference college baseball wise, but uh, they've been one of the better teams, and they've been consistently one of the better teams in the conference in recent years. Yeah, they have Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Cal. Oklahoma, of course, being in the CWS championship bracket this year, so. And then the SEC slate, I mean, I was looking at start times earlier this week. Somebody pointed out to me that uh, State plays six straight, I want to say six straight teams that went to the Super Regionals, I think, in a row in the conference schedule. And I think four Omaha teams, including Ole Miss, you know, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, A&M, Arkansas, LSU. I said Arkansas twice because it that good. Uh, anyway, a lot yeah, of good. on that SEC schedule. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Obviously, State went 9-21 and in SEC play last year. Usually, it takes about yeah. 14, 14 at least SEC wins to get to the tournament. It kind of depends on the rest. But, yeah, I mean, it, you have yeah. some of those biggest series at home with AM and uh Ole Miss and Arkansas coming in. Vanderbilt, too. A lot of the bigger well, series to... is probably good. Oh, wait, sorry. Theo, I was going to say it is going to be interesting to see how the other SEC teams fare. Um, you know, Ole Miss specifically, I mean, coming off of a national championship in a year that, you know, they were the last team in, but they're still Ole Miss and they brought in, you know, big uh, names in terms of, um, you know, freshman and transfer portal last season. They're going to be tested early on and, and there's going to be other SEC teams that are going to have those early tests to see kind of how good they are going to be. And I think that that's, um, you know, Mississippi State needs to make sure that they're, you know, watching those series um, to see, you know, how they gauge against the rest of college baseball. And I mean, the SEC is still, you know, on on paper, the best conference in college in, in college baseball. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how teams come into this season and how they play um, this season early on. Um, I am really, really intrigued to see what Ole Miss does, you know, coming off that natty because, you know, Mississippi has won the last two national championships. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those teams fare. Yes. Southern Miss to the top this year. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Now, you mentioned those early season games, and you saw State struggle in those games last year. And it was, yeah, it was a sign that, you know, hey, this team may not be that good. Of course, you had all the injuries like Landon Sims and Brooks Auger and Stone Simmons. But, yeah, I mean, when you have 
kind of struggling against Northern Kentucky and Long Beach State and Tulane, who's obviously a good program, but it was kind of a sign that this may not go very well. So like you said, Alex, it's going to be interesting to see which of those teams stand out early on, especially in some of those good little uh, four-team tournaments with you know Big 12 or Pac-12 schools. Or a big weekend series. That's true. <laughs> Arizona State is State's big, you know, non-conference weekend series. That's the second week of the season this year. But that should be a pretty good series, I think. It should. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be a good year for college baseball. I'm just I'm I'm trying not to be too biased with my alma mater because I'm I'm gonna get too high expectations and it's just gonna crash and burn. So I'm gonna try to stay neutral. Fair enough. Before we uh, end this, I wanted to touch on softball as well you know Alex you mentioned State being picked 11th in the SEC by the coaches I kind of get it they lost the best player in program history and Mia Davidson they lost their most reliable pitcher in Annie Willis but they still have some depth I think they have plenty of the starting players from last year returning I mean I think Davidson was the only offensive starter who's gone still have Chloe Malaulu pitchers Kenley Hawk Aspen Wesley hitters you know Paige Cook Matalasi Faapito Shea Moreno, Jack McKenna, a lot of a lot of returning production, you know, Bradley St. Clair at the top of the lineup. It's another tough SEC schedule, eight teams in the top 25. But I mean, State proved itself last year for the first time, making that first super regional. They're going to try to build on that. We'll see what happens. They've had, you know, a couple shaky non-conference games in the past couple of years. And you have a pretty good non-conference schedule with Oklahoma, a tournament featuring Arizona, Michigan and UCF. All of those teams are ranked. I think it's going to be another good test and state, you know, some uh, coach Samantha Ricketts has said building her team up with the toughest, you know, possible non-conference schedule. And it's kind of worked in SEC play. I mean, last year they started out pretty hot in conference play. If they can bank enough wins to get to the postseason, you saw last year that pretty much anything can happen. And I'm getting really excited for both of those baseball and softball seasons. That'll do it for uh, Bully Banter today. Alex and Colin, have a good weekend, and we'll see you next week.